Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. The Rocker Who? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 61, The Rocketeer. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. Welcome again to the podcast, 61 episodes later. Uh, I hope that you are all well and I find that podcasts have this ability to allow you to kind of switch off from everything else and let's be honest there's a lot of rubbish things happening in the world right now. And I listen to a lot of podcasts. I probably listen to your podcast if you're a podcaster who's listening. Uh, chances are I listen to your podcast. And I use podcasts to just switch off and listen to something and enjoy something. So for this episode, um, all I'll say is thank you so much for being here. And let's switch off from everything and let's take flight with the Rocketeer. Um, but before we do, I just want to say as well a massive thank you for the wonderful comments that I've got on The Princess Bride. Um, the episode seemed to resonate with a few of you, especially those with small children or just about to become parents, and about just how important the stories that we tell our children are. Um, I hasten to add that following the episode, uh, my nephew did watch The Princess Bride, and I quote, he said it was too scary. And I kind of think, okay, maybe age four is a bit young for six-fingered men and fire swamps and the machine um, and all of that. Maybe he'll find the Rocketeer a bit less scary. It's something that we will have to try, I guess. Um, This weekend, he's actually going to be watching Transformers the movie, not the live action, the original animated 1986 version. So we will see what he thinks about that one. Um, And while The Princess Bride was the perfect 60th episode, I feel like The Rocketeer is the perfect follow-up for so many reasons. Because it's still a swashbuckling-ish period piece, obviously set in the 1930s. Um, And while it's widely seen as a flop, 
It appears to have made this indelible mark on those who have seen it. So without further ado, let's have a listen to the trailer for The Rocketeer. To some, it was the fulfillment of a dream. To others, it was an instrument of destruction. A creation that could change the course of history. It was stolen from my factory. Where's the package? This is the FBI! What do we tell the president? Tell me exactly why this merchandise is so important to the feds. It's a rocket. A rocket? Ow! What? What's the matter? I don't know. There's something under the seat. Oh, my. What do we got here? What are you supposed to do? Is it a bomb or something? No. I wouldn't touch that if I were you. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. Stand clear. What was that? Are you trying to kill yourself? I like it. Uh oh, we got company. You steer, I'll push. Well, what? I want that rocket, Eddie. Not next week, not tomorrow. Now, keep your eyes open for this dame. Jenny's in trouble. They're working for a Nazi agent. With an army equipped with these, you could rule the world. Cliff! You touch one hair on her head, I swear out. <laughs> Shoot him! We've got the girl. The rocket will come to us. I love her, Peeve. Does she know that? She's gonna find out. Go get him, kid. In 1938 Los Angeles, pilot Cliff Secord crashes his plane after being hit in the air in a shootout between gangsters and FBI agents in a car chase. He and his best friend and mechanic PV stumble upon a package hidden by one of the gangsters of a rocket-powered jetpack and they find that the device allows a man to fly. Cliff's girlfriend and aspiring actress Jenny Blake succeeds in an audition to make a small part in a movie starring the great actor Neville Sinclair, who is ranked third in the box office. During a flight exhibition, Cliff is forced to don the rocket to save a colleague from crashing his plane and is dubbed the Rocketeer by the public. With his picture in the front page of the newspaper, Cliff is chased by the FBI, gangsters and German spies and Jenny is abducted. We have Billy Campbell as Cliff Secord. Um, he's credited in the movie as Bill Campbell, but I'll talk about that a bit later. We have Jennifer Connolly as Jenny Blake, Alan Arkin as PV Peabody, Timothy Dalton as Neville Sinclair, Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes, Ed Lauter as Fitch, James Handy as Wooly Walinski, Paul Silvino as Eddie Valentine, and John Polito as Otis Bigelow. The screenplay was by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. The story by Danny Bilson, Paul DeMeo and William Deere and it was based on The Rocketeer by Dave Stevens. The movie was directed by Joe Johnston who'd previously directed Honey I Shrunk the Kids for Disney. Honey I Shrunk the Kids was his directorial debut and this was his second feature. So 
Before the movie of The Rocketeer, there was the comic book series of The Rocketeer. But to kind of talk about The Rocketeer, we need to kind of go all the way back to the characters that that comic book was based on. Because essentially, it's an homage. And it's an homage to the Saturday matinee serials of the 1930s through to the 1950s, which were famously depicted in Republic Pictures black and white movie serials like King of the Rocket Men and Commando Cody. And Commando Cody starred in Radar Men from the Moon, Zombies of the Stratosphere and Sky Marshal of the Universe. And all of these featured characters who were essentially rocket powered. Uh, the designs of the helmets in King of the Rocket Men and Commando Cody are very similar in style to the Rocketeer. And in those old serials, the flying sequences were achieved by using full-size dummies on internal pulleys, a long taut wire, which were tilted downwards, which, by the way, is still a very, very effective special effect. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you will know how much of a fan I am of practical effects. And these effects, they're from the 30s, essentially, so they are rudimentary, but they still look great. Um, and I will add as well that I am not that knowledgeable on pulp cinema. So I have to give a shout out to patron and friend of the show, Hardy L, who is an expert on all things pulp. And if you are interested in knowing more about these Republic serials or Republic pictures or anything to do with pulp cinema, I would highly recommend following him. He's at Pulp Serial on Twitter or watching his excellent YouTube series, Pulparama. I have learned a lot on pulp cinema from him, uh, but again, literally scratching the surface of pulp cinema. Uh, if you are interested in any of these serials, please speak to him. He is the master of pulp. Anyway, back to the Rocketeer. So creator of the Rocketeer, Dave Stevens, loved Commander Cody, uh, but he also loved 1950s pinup Betty Page. And she'll come into the story in a bit, but effectively both Commander Cody and Betty Page technically inspired the main characters in The Rocketeer. So Dave Stevens contributed drawings to the program book for San Diego Comic-Con in the 70s, as well as worked as the assistant to artist Russ Manning before being hired by Hanna-Barbera for their animated shows, and he branched out to storyboarding films in the early 1980s. His creation, and the thing that he is most well known for, is The Rocketeer. And as I said, it was based on those serials and also The Rocketeer's alter ego, Cliff Secord who is a local racing pilot in 1938 Los Angeles, who discovers a hidden rocket pack and becomes the Rocketeer. Um, and the Rocketeer has stylings leaning towards diesel punk with that kind of vintage future aesthetic. Um, I talk more about the history and visual style of diesel punk in a lot more detail in my episode on Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. And they are great partners, really. If you wanted a really great couple of movies that really work well together, I would highly recommend both The Rocketeer and Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow because they lean very similarly into each other. Um, I did an episode on Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Uh, that is episode five of this podcast. And like I say, if you love The Rocketeer, which you do, and so do a lot of people, as I'm going to come to in a bit, I guarantee you will love Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. I talk a lot about the diesel punk aesthetic, the history of diesel punk in that movie. And I don't want to reiterate myself too much, um, but Sky Captain is so worth your time, genuinely, and also incredibly underrated. And also, um, <laughs> I'm just going on now about Sky Captain. Um, 
but also revolutionary, really, when we think about modern effects. Uh, Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow did a hell of a lot more for cinema than people realise. So please go watch Sky Captain. Um, anyway, so back to Dave Stevens. So he was very careful not to violate copyright on his creations. Uh, he based his characters off the pulp series heroes Doc Savage, who was the inventor of the jetpack, and The Shadow, but he never named them so as not to incur licensing fees. He used horror movie star Rondo Hatton as the inspiration for Lothar, who is the henchman in this movie, as well as modelling Cliff Seacord's girlfriend Betty on famous 50s pinup model, dubbed the queen of pinups, Betty Page. Page was known for her sexuality, sensuality and style, with jet black hair and a trademark fringe, or, for American listeners, bangs. Uh, she appeared in Playboy Centerfold in January 1955 and was known for her lingerie modelling pictures, as well as bondage-themed mail-order photographs by Irving Claw. She frequently posed nude, but never in anything sexually explicit. Paige was, in many ways, Dave Stevens' muse. To him, she was the ideal woman, and so the character, Betty, became his outlet, kind of, for his fantasies of the real-life Betty Page. Um, it's worth noting that the real-life Betty Page spells her name B-E-T-T-I-E, whereas the fictional Betty was B-E-T-T-Y. Um, so if her name is Betty in the comic, why is her name Jenny Blake in the movie? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that, and I will come to it, but Betty Page herself had no idea what the Rocketeer was, and she had no idea this character had been based on her. And when Dave Stevens realised that she was still alive in her 70s and living in Los Angeles, he contacted her via her brother to make her aware. Because chances are a lady in her 70s probably wouldn't pick up a comic book anytime soon. But he also wanted to compensate her for her likeness. Uh, they ended up, Dave Stevens and Betty Page, becoming friends. And coincidentally, and quite sadly actually, they died the same year. Uh, although Page actually outlived Dave Stevens uh, by nine months. Um, which is sad, um, but it's also quite nice that they formed this friendship and they had this relationship based on the fact that he made a character out of her, um, which I think is really nice, actually. And she was absolutely thrilled <laughs> that he'd done this. Um, so she sounds, from what I've read about Betty Page, she sounds like an incredible woman Anyway, back to the origins of The Rocketeer. So in 1982, The Rocketeer appeared in Mike Grell's Star Slayer issues two and three that was published by Pacific Comics. Two more instalments appeared in Pacific Presents issues one and two, which ended in a cliffhanger. Get it? Because his name's Cliff. Okay, tumbleweed. <laughs> anyway, so his story was concluded in a special issue of The Rocketeer, this time published by Eclipse Comics, because Pacific Comics had collapsed in 1984. Eclipse then took all of those stories and published a single volume entitled The Rocketeer, with an introduction written by fantasy author and acquaintance of Dave Stevens, Harlan Ellison. A special limited edition hardcover was also produced, which was signed by Stevens and Ellison. Rocketeer Adventure magazine continued the stories in two issues published in 1988 and 1989, this time by Comico Comics. It wouldn't be until 1995 that issue three was published, this time by Dark Horse Comics. Dark Horse then published all three stories as The Rocketeer, colon, Cliff's New York Adventure. 
1991, the graphic novel accompanying the movie version of The Rocketeer was released. And in 2009, IDW Publishing announced a hardcover of all of The Rocketeer stories um, that would be available for the first time with a standard hardcover and a deluxe edition using different artwork and previously uncollected Rocketeer sketches, designs, script and original art with commentary by Dave Stevens. The biggest fan of The Rocketeer in the world and there's a lot of fans of The Rocketeer, is undoubtedly Dave Stevens. Um, it's his creation. He has gone on record to say how much he loves The Rocketeer. Um, and he always believed The Rocketeer would make for a great movie and that Cliff would be an inspirational leading man. Uh, director Steve Miner bought the rights for The Rocketeer in 1983 with the intent to make a movie. At the time, he was most well known for his horror movies, like Friday the 13th, Parts 2 and 3, House and Warlock. The rights reverted back to Stevens after Minor couldn't seem to understand the concept and the movie languished in development hell for seven years with writers Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo given a free option from Stevens in 1985 to write a script for The Rocketeers. Unlike Minor, they seemed to truly understand the character. That same year, Dave Stevens met William Deere, the director of Harry and the Hendersons, who fell into place as a director and co-writer. So the movie was originally pitched as a low-budget black and white movie, mimicking the serials it paid homage to, to pretty much every studio in Hollywood, but no one was interested in comic book movies in the 80s. They went back to the drawing board and they redid the idea as a bigger budget period superhero movie with a Hollywood setting and Nazi villains. And then came Batman. And it was Tim Burton's Batman in 1989 which started the fascination with adapting comic book movies, especially those with a retro aesthetic. Once Stevens, Bilson, DeMeo and Dia were pitching again, they were turned down by every studio and finally they met with Disney. Disney's first attempt at a comic book movie was Dick Tracy, uh, which had its own interesting production stories and looks pretty much unlike any other comic book movie with its super bright colour palette. Um, Dick Tracy was obviously also set in the 1930s. It was financially successful for Disney and it came out in 1990. And so The Rocketeer seemed like a really, really good gamble. It was based on a popular comic book. It was easily adaptable. And more importantly for Disney, because remember, this is Disney, it could capture the family friendly audience with toys. Uh, because what you want if you're Disney is you don't just want a movie, you want merchandise and you want people to continue to buy merchandise. But I'm going to talk about toys a little bit later on. If you've ever read any of the comic books of The Rocketeer, it's a bit risque. So once Disney had The Rocketeer, they immediately didn't want a character that was not only based on a real person, but also based on a famous lingerie model, uh, especially someone who was known for posing nude. So the character of Betty, being based on Betty Page, was considered too sexy. Uh, and because the real Betty Page had experienced a bit of a resurgence in pop culture in the 80s, she was a notable image. People knew who Betty Page was. So although Betty, the character, started out in the script as Betty... Uh, she soon morphed from Betty the model to Jenny the aspiring actress. Disney wanted a property uh, by which they could merchandise and 
One of the original contracts, Stevens, Bilson, DeMeo and Deer signed uh, were under Touchstone Pictures. The same label, actually, who released Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that's episode four, uh, because Touchstone Pictures tended to be the studio that they used to release anything that was a bit more grown up. It was originally conceived as a trilogy of films, and I'm going to come to sequels again a little bit later. Uh, The Rocketeer was actually switched to a Walt Disney Pictures release, and that was a decision by then-studio chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg. Um, And it was this change that really formulated The Rocketeer going forward. Endless script revisions were submitted, uh, Disney fired and rehired Bilson and DeMeo three times, and the project delays meant that William Deere was actually forced to step down as a director, but ended up retaining the story credit. Joe Johnston, who, as I said, had worked with Disney previously on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, was a fan of the comic book and immediately offered to step in as a director. And after the third major rewrite, with all of the things that they wanted in this movie, Disney finally greenlit The Rocketeer. With Disney seeing potential in the toy market, they originally wanted a modern day setting, as they didn't feel a period piece would gel with modern audiences. This also included uh, a proposed modern NASA-style helmet, which reportedly made Joe Johnston threaten to quit the production if they dared even try. The writers also stepped up and reminded the Disney executives that period action movies worked because you've got Indiana Jones. Why can't it work for The Rocketeer? Casting Cliff Secord was always going to be a bit of a task. Um, And this was basically because Disney wanted a name, a big name actor for the lead role. Someone whose name on the poster would entice cinema goers. Johnny Depp was the favourite, with Bill Paxton very close to getting the part. Other names who auditioned or who were considered included the likes of Kevin Costner. We're going to come to him later as well. Matthew Modine, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell and Emilio Estevez. Vincent D'Onofrio was offered the part, but he turned it down. It was unknown actor Billy Campbell, who at that point went by Bill Campbell, but he's often credited as Billy as well. So it's a bit confusing (laughs) in this movie because I'm pretty certain, because I have the Blu-ray for The Rocketeer, and I'm pretty certain that he is credited on that Blu-ray as both Bill and Billy. But for the purposes of this podcast, I'm just going to call him Billy. Um... So Billy uh, was director Joe Johnston and creator Dave Stevens. Perfect choice casting for Cliff. But Disney were not happy. Uh, They didn't want an unknown actor taking this plum lead role in this potentially massive trilogy of movies. Um, So they had to be persuaded. Uh, Billy Campbell actually had a fear of flying. So he was doubled for almost all the aircraft flying sequences. Um, Coincidentally as well, Billy Campbell also had a role in the cancelled sequel to 10 Things I Hate About You, which was called 10 Things I Hate About Life. I talked about that in episode 58, which was on 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, But eventually, Disney acquiesced to the request of Joe Johnston and Dave Stevens, and they cast Billy Campbell uh, in the lead role of this movie. For the role of Jenny, the likes of Sherilyn Fenn, Kelly Preston, Diane Lane and Elizabeth McGovern were all considered before the then 20-year-old Jennifer Connelly. Uh, Obviously, at that time, she was known primarily for Labyrinth. Um, And Jennifer Connelly really is one of those actors 
that just seems to light up the screen. And I think it's a little bit unfortunate in The Rocketeer because I don't think she's given the greatest of lines. Um, but we know that Jennifer Connelly can act. Um, and honestly, I still think she's fantastic in Labyrinth. Um, I won't have anyone say anything bad about Jennifer Connelly in Labyrinth because she's pretty perfect in that film. But there was actually, uh, ended up being an 11-year age difference between Campbell and Connolly. And they reportedly became romantic during filming, uh, which obviously helped with the method acting for their on-screen chemistry. Undoubtedly, though, the most famous actor in the cast at that time was none other than James Bond. Because you had Timothy Dalton and his character was kind of outwardly a very suave, sophisticated, third most bankable star in Hollywood, Neville Sinclair. Uh, reportedly inspired by Errol Flynn, uh, which coincidentally, Wesley in The Princess Bride was also modelled on Errol Flynn. So that's a nice link to episode 60, The Princess Bride. Uh, Errol Flynn was the subject of a biography by Charles Hyam, which claimed that Flynn was a Nazi spy. This has since been refuted and the biography deemed fabricated, but the image of Flynn as a secret Nazi remained in the script. And so Neville Sinclair became a Nazi spy. The part was offered to Jeremy Irons and Charles Dance before Dalton accepted. At the time, Timothy Dalton was still essentially James Bond, uh, as The Living Daylights had been released in 1987 and Licence to Kill in 1989. And at the time, Dalton was under a three-film contract. He would actually not step down officially from the role of James Bond until April 1994. And obviously, as we know, Bond was ultimately recast with Pierce Brosnan for 1996's GoldenEye. But having James Bond playing a Nazi spy was a reasonably risky move that actually paid off because Timothy Dalton is the sort of actor that never seems to be pigeonholed. Uh, although he was James Bond at the time in the late 80s, he's never been typecast as James Bond. His Neville Sinclair actually works incredibly well because you couldn't believe that he is a suave Errol Flynn style actor um, but you could also believe he might be a bit of a spy. During the production of The Rocketeer, Dave Stevens was as involved with the filming as he possibly could be. He allied himself with Joe Johnston and production manager Ian Bryce. And this was an attempt to have as much artistic control over his characters as possible. And while Disney were admittedly not impressed, uh, Stevens maintained it wasn't to inflate his ego and it was for the benefit of the movie. Um, and you can clearly see his influence in this movie. Filming took place between September 1992 to January 1991 and overran 50 days due to weather and mechanical problems. Chaplin Airfield was an abandoned World War II runway at Santa Maria California Airport and that was used for filming. The Rocketeer used a 1916 standard biplane and a GB Model Z racer. Or if you're in America, I guess Model Z racer, we say Z. So these planes were one of a kind, essentially, and hadn't been flown in years. 25 vintage aircraft were used in the air circus scene. The vintage GB could only be landed a limited number of times as landings were reportedly tricky and tough on the original landing gear. And the GB Model Z was, at the time in 1931, the fastest land plane in the world. It actually became notorious as a pilot killer after a fatal crash during a world record speed attempt in the same year. 
Despite Disney's original insistence for a modern take, which thankfully they didn't go with, the production design went all out to make it look as authentic to the 1930s as well as Stevens' comic books as possible. So Stevens even gave production designer Jim Bissell and his two art directors his entire library of blueprints, schematics, photos and drawings to recreate the look of hangers, bleachers, the autogyro and the Bulldog Cafe, which was a real cafe shaped like a bulldog. It was built in 1928 at 1153 West Washington Boulevard in Los Angeles. It was destroyed by weather in the 1970s, but a replica was built in the Peterson Automotive Museum, which opened in 1994. To help promote The Rocketeer when it was released, the Bulldog Cafe exterior set from this movie was moved to the Backlot Tour at the Disney MGM Studios. The entire attraction was closed in 2014, demolished and replaced with Toy Story Land. Um, and unfortunately, one can only assume the Bulldog Cafe was also demolished because I can't find any trace of it after 2014, which is very sad. Uh, it was actually a lot smaller than it looked. A lot of forced perspective was used to make it look bigger than it actually was. Who am I going to say did the visual effects on the Rocketeer? Say it with me, come on. Industrial light and magic. <laughs> the kings and queens are visual effects. And what's so amazing about the Rocketeer is that it contains effects that you don't even realise are effects. Ken Ralston, who also worked on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, by the way, served as the VFX supervisor. And in the tradition of those Republic Pictures serials, used a lifelike 18-inch cliff cord model with a metal skeleton. It had ball joints, hinges and swivels, which was, in the end, indistinguishable from the actor in costume. This model was used for the flying sequences and started with the puppet being animated to look out of control. Uh, this was achieved with the puppet mounted on a ball joint to make him turn and roll. Later shots, that ball joint was removed, so he looked in control as he was flying through the scenery. This was all achieved by Go Motion to create that look of motion blur. Uh, that's something that I talked about in the episode on Jurassic Park, episode 57. Um, but most remarkably, for a movie that's almost 30 years old, and you would not know, because I didn't know until I researched this movie, that those flying scenes are animated. Uh, the scene where the Rocketeer flies through a clothesline and picks up a sheet, all animated. Apart from obviously the lady putting up washing. Uh, a miniature sheet covered the puppet as they manipulated it by hand and filmed at one frame per second. The question of, well, how did the Rocketeer's legs not catch fire every time he sets it off? The rocket fire was all hand animated. Uh, it even They even added extra flash bursts when he flew close to the camera. And obviously the massive Nazi Zeppelin was an elaborate large model that really did go down in flames, quite literally. The effects for the Rocketeer occasionally don't hold up. And I'm saying that with as much love as possible to the Rocketeer um, because the puppet work, without a doubt, holds up. Some of the CG, not quite. However, it does not take anything away from this movie. The fact that you never, the fact I didn't even know it was animated. That is how good the animation on this movie is. Please go and watch it again. I'm going to watch it again and I'm going to see if I can tell it's animated now that I know. The amount of love that went into this movie is just phenomenal. It really, really is. And all of that 
love and all of that passion and all of that heart comes from Dave Stevens. Um, Dave Stevens would end up passing away from leukemia in March 2008. He is credited as a co-producer of The Rocketeer, as well as the writer of the original comic book series. He actually went on record to state that the casting choices were excellent and that he believed what Joe Johnston did with the first flight sequence was breathtaking and that the overall sweetness and spirit of the series was there on screen. He stated that he was satisfied with 70% of the film. And I think as a creator, if anyone made a verbal diorama movie and I was involved, <laughs> this is ridiculous, but I'm going with it. And I could go to the end of it and say I was 70% happy with what they put in. I think I'd be happy with that. Obviously, you'd want 100% happiness. Um, but with Hollywood, you've got to be a bit flexible, I think. He seems to have been mostly happy with it. Um, this is his legacy. This is what Dave Stevens is known for. Um, and the fact that so many people love this movie. And again, I'm going to come to so many people. That is just a tribute to Dave Stevens. I think if he knew that it was on Disney Plus and that people were watching it and loving it now, I think he'd be absolutely thrilled. Right, moving on. So one thing that I like to do every episode is I have a little segment and I call it the obligatory Keanu reference. And what that means is it's basically a, how can I link this movie to Keanu Reeves? And if you need to ask, well, why Keanu Reeves? Then this is clearly the first episode of Verbal Diorama that you've ever listened to. Because Keanu Reeves is the greatest man to have ever existed on the planet. So this podcast kind of goes out of its way to say, well, this is how we can link a movie to Keanu. And this one's actually pretty easy because Billy Campbell actually, after The Rocketeer, went on to star alongside Keanu in the following years, Bram Stoker's Dracula. He played Quincy P. Morris. And Bram Stoker's Dracula is one of those movies that I pure and simply adore. And a lot of people will criticise Keanu's accent. I don't care. He could be speaking gobbledygook for all I care. It's still Keanu Reeves. But I think it's absolutely stunningly beautiful movie. I love Bram Stoker's Dracula and uh, Billy Campbell, Quincy P. Morris. So there is the obligatory Keanu reference. The Rocketeer has so many wonderful things to talk about. The cast, the effects, the origins. But the music of The Rocketeer is something very special. And James Horner did the music. He's had a love for aviation, so was really the perfect choice for the score. The Rocketeer score is beautiful, and this is not the first time I've mentioned a James Horner score on this podcast. I mentioned it on the episode that I did on Willow, and Willow is a score that still makes me cry because I think it's so beautiful. Um, but his Rocketeer score, it might not be his most well-known, but those who do know it see it as one of his most beloved. And more impressively, James Horner wrote the entire score for this movie in three weeks. It's just another reason to love James Horner and his beautiful, beautiful scores. So I've talked about the music. So what is the other thing that we need to talk about? So we need to talk about the poster, the original poster, because the original Art Deco poster for The Rocketeer is without a doubt one of the most original 
and beautiful images for a poster to have ever been made, ever. It's instantly recognisable, it's sharp, it's clean, it's not cluttered, it's bold and it's futuristic and also, to my knowledge, has never been imitated. But let me know if you're aware of another movie using a similar Art Deco style in their poster image. Because to me, the Rocketeer poster is truly a work of art. Despite this fact, Disney changed it um, because they felt that they needed a poster that included the stars of the movie. Um, and so there is there are essentially two posters. There's the original beautiful Art Deco poster and then there's a poster that features all of the actors, which is, compared to the Art Deco poster, rubbish. Um, the original poster art remains one of the most striking and beautiful images, as I said, ever made. And it's something I've been intending to buy for my house for some time. So I, following this episode, I'm going to get off my bum and I'm, I'm going to buy a Rocketeer poster for my house. Um, I might also buy some toys. There are some beautiful Rocketeer figurines as well. And speaking of toys, because obviously I mentioned toys earlier and Disney having these big plans for the toy market. So they started this promotion. Uh, they did a promotion with Pizza Hut and they did a promotion with M&Ms. They released a computer game for the PC, NES and SNES, which was actually awarded the worst movie to game of 1992 by Electronic Gaming Monthly. They released posters, trading cards, pins and buttons. But despite Disney seeing this as their potential summer blockbuster, no action figures were made in 1991. And obviously this was a period when literally every movie had action figures. For The Rocketeer, there were no action figures. There was a Rocketeer Bendum, which was a bendy rubber doll. And there was a nine inch pose doll as well. Currently, the Rocketeer boasts some beautiful figurines, like I said, including those from Funko and Reaction. Maybe they just didn't know how to market the Rocketeer. That's not something that Disney can be accused of nowadays because Disney's marketing department and merchandise department, if you've ever been to a Disney store, you will know it's literally anything you can think of is available in a Disney store. Uh, for literally every character. So they've clearly learned some lessons. The Rocketeer actually premiered at the refurbished El Capitan Theatre. This was after Disney had acquired and restyled it in an Art Deco style. It had been closed for refurbishment for two years, but on the 19th of June 1991 came the Rocketeer premiere. It ended up opening at number four at the US box office after Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, City Slickers and Dying Young. It was released under Touchstone Pictures outside of the US and Canada, which is probably why I remember being quite surprised to find out that it was a Disney movie. Because when I was a kid, I never saw it as a Disney movie. And I didn't know as a kid that Touchstone was Disney. So uh, yeah, we got it under Touchstone. We didn't get it under Disney. And now it's on Disney+. Plus. Obviously now everyone knows it's a Disney movie, but not back in the day. So this movie was originally budgeted at $25 million. This rose to $35 million after Disney were impressed with the dailies. And they realised, or they thought, that the movie was bigger than they first thought. And The Rocketeer was big in style and scope. And as I said, sequels were expected. So when The Rocketeer only brought in $46.7 million worldwide, it was seen as a failure. But going up against the behemoth that was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves... Even though, unlike Men in Tights, he didn't speak with an English accent, and that's a nice little callback to Carrie Elwes again, it was a massive movie. 
with that massive Brian Adams song that stayed in the charts for 16 consecutive weeks here in the UK. And that is a record that has never been broken. So that is how big Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was. Um, so the Rocketeer was almost set up for failure in many ways. Disney clearly didn't know that Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was going to be so big. But the fact that they didn't even do a proper toy line for the movie when they made it a family movie seems like a weird decision. Why would you increase your budget for your family friendly movie and then not do any merch? It's just bizarre, really. So when it came to awards, The Rocketeer actually lost both a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation and a Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film, but it lost to Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So you kind of got to say, well, Terminator 2 really is worth both of those awards. The Rocketeer was originally planned as a trilogy and all of the actors were signed up for contracts for a trilogy. And that was obviously cancelled after the disappointing box office of The Rocketeer. In 2016, a sequel called The Rocketeers was announced to be in development, written by Son of the Fonz, himself Max Winkler and Matt Spicer. This eventually evolved to becoming a project titled Return of the Rocketeer, written by Asia Squire, which is still classed as in development. In 2019, an animated TV show premiered on Disney Junior, uh, with Cliff's granddaughter Kit Secord putting on a jetpack to become the new Rocketeer. Uh, Billy Campbell guest starred in that TV show as her grandfather Cliff. The show was unfortunately cancelled after one season. Post The Rocketeer, Jennifer Connelly has obviously gone on to be one of the most well-regarded actors of her generation. And Joe Johnston, following The Rocketeer, based on his directorial chops for The Rocketeer, would direct Captain America, the first Avenger for Marvel Studios. But that story is for another episode. Moving on to social media thoughts. So when I said that The Rocketeer seems to have an immeasurable amount of love, the reason I say that is because I think this might be the most comments I've ever had for any episode that I've ever done. And that includes massive movies like The Thing and Jurassic Park and all of these huge, huge movies that people love but The Rocketeer has had more listener comments than anything. There are a lot. So without further ado, uh, we have on Twitter, Andy at Geek Salad Radio, and he says, Where to begin? The first movie I think that sold me solely on that majestic retro art poster. It's impossible for me to put into words how amazing that poster is in the space allowed. It delivered with a fun mix of action and humour with a great cast, including Timothy Dalton, in a role that was tailor-made for him. Sorry, Bond fans. Too bad this never got a sequel, as it is one of my favourite non-Big 2 comic book movies. At FFTL Podcast said, One of the greatest posters ever. Flippin' love the Rocketeer. Joe Johnston does not get enough love as a director. At 30 Podcast said, One of my all-time favourites. Can't wait to listen. Even convinced my wife to go to a con with me as Jenny. And he did attach a photo. And the Rocketeer costume in the photo is impressive as is his wife, who looks absolutely stunning as Jenny. At MSMR Pod said, I remember seeing the standee for The Rocketeer in my local cinema and not knowing anything about it, became fascinated by it. It looked unlike anything else out at the time. I managed to get to see it and I was absolutely thrilled by it, although my raves fell on deaf ears a bit. 
I revisited it on Disney Plus during lockdown, and while it didn't have the same giddy impact on the jaded old git that I have become, it's still a solid family-friendly romp. At Pulp Serial, Hardy L, who I mentioned earlier, said... I utterly adore Joe Johnston and I love how he can show his love for the Republic serials he grew up with through this movie. It's such delight from beginning to end and I was really excited for that sequel they sadly ended up scrapping. At StuntGoat75 said, Still holds up all these years later. Swashbuckling fun that I am still surprised when people say they haven't seen it. At BRC Agnew said, Not only is The Rocketeer a fascinating first pass for Joe Johnston as the flavour pulp adventure that would reach out a final form as Captain America the First Avenger, but it's a rollicking, family-friendly good time in its own right. The film's supporting cast slightly outshines the title character, and I will never not be disappointed that Neville Sinclair's Errol Flynn-alike introduction didn't lead to a climactic sword fight in Act 3, but for first-rate, high-flying Nazi fighting, look no further. At Gundam Guyver said, Such a criminally underrated fun comic book movie. Was it an example of perfect filmmaking? No, but it was just such a massive fun that I forgave it the occasional uneven moment. Proof that Joe Johnston is a master of incredibly fun period pieces or incredibly fun movies, period. At OG Flayer said, This was a favourite movie of mine as a kid and still is. So much of the pulpy World War II vibes of Indiana Jones combined with the fantastic adventure of Flash Gordon. Shame we never got another one. But if we had, maybe the Rocketeer wouldn't be quite as special. Stand clear. At Oral MFC said, Not my favourite of the tragically failed 90s pulp revival, but Rocketeer is definitely the most pulpy. Nazis, gadgets, a gorgeous gal, aircraft, anti-fascist mobsters, fight on a zeppelin and a smug villain hoisted with his own petard. Doesn't get much pulpier than that. At Remedy RPM said, Jennifer Connolly and the Art Deco teaser poster, both stunning. At Cooking with Grief said, Since I watched it on Disney Plus, my head canon is that it's part of the MCU. Just replace any mention of Hughes with Stark and Bingo. Also my favourite movie poster. At Eric, aka Movie Fans, said, One of my favourite adventure films, so underrated, as is much of Joe Johnston's directorial work, as I grew up on most of his films. I love the 30s atmosphere and style. The entire cast is just perfect, and the film just radiates a sense of good old-fashioned adventure and innocence. The score is one of James Horner's absolute best, and I listen to it every time I write. The film overall is a big influence on me as a budding writer and filmmaker, and I hope to make something like it in the future. I also love the original comics as well, although they have a bit more edge and darkness to them. Just a warning. At Defining Disney said, Our whole crew loves this movie, but at Crutches McGee, our producer feels the most strongly. Stephen, thoughts? At Crutches McGee said, I freaking love this movie. I love the whole aesthetic and retro sci-fi feel this movie has. I also am a big fan of adventure movies that don't take themselves super seriously. The Rocketeer ticks all the right boxes for me. At Benny the Fish 75 says, Featured the beautiful Jennifer Connolly looking totally stunning. At Aaronish Jackson said, I love The Rocketeer. At Rachel Herrera 11 said, I love The Rocketeer, such an inspiring and wonderful story. The Rocketeer is one of the best and often forgotten Disney live action movies out there. And who doesn't love Billy Campbell? At Binge Movies simply says, Fantastic movie. At Chance Whitmore 5 says, I remember it being odd that James Bond was a villain. I recently rewatched it. The DNA of Something Amazing was there and Joe Johnston did a solid job directing. But for me, at least it never meshed. Possibly because it felt too Disney. A nice film, just not a great one. At At The Flicks Pod said, They're on opening night for this film. Great fun, excellent special effects and wonderful performances. Learnt all those theories about Errol Flynn potentially being a Nazi spy as a result of this movie. 
at Movie Shelf Pod said childhood favourite. And at Matt's Movie Review said The Rocketeer is one of my absolute favourite movies. Near perfect in every way. Casting, score, cinematography, story production, design, etc. What an underrated gem. Sadly released as a Disney movie when Disney wasn't so cool. A must watch. We need a sequel. And that's just on Twitter. So <laughs> moving over to Instagram, we have at FWMPod said... I absolutely love this film. We had it on VHS as a kid and my brother and I wore it out. Can't wait to hear your episode on this. Also, this might not be worth mentioning on the pod, but I sold a car to Timothy Dalton once and he was lovely. I will add that I am the Ron Burgundy of comments and if you write it in a comment, I will say it. So uh, so there you go. Uh, sold a car to Timothy Dalton. He's a lovely man. And finally, TFGIF podcast said, My parents helped to fund The Rocketeer. It was a low-budget movie supported by private investors, and I think they got a poster. Which is a wonderful story, and to be honest, I wish that I'd asked you a bit more about that for the episode. But sadly, the lead times to this episode were quite small, and I didn't really have time. And on Facebook, there were none on Facebook, but that is a whopping amount of listener comments. So... I mean, that's quite phenomenal, really. I genuinely don't think I've ever had that many, um, especially that many positive ones. Thank you so much to everyone who took their time to comment on The Rocketeer and to show your appreciation for The Rocketeer. Because to me, The Rocketeer feels like old Hollywood and not just because it's set in old Hollywood. It has that sheen, you know, that glam that you associate with the era, but also an innocence its history might be anachronistic, but it harkens back to a simpler time. And if The Rocketeer has criticism, it's that it's a simple story. But it's a simple story told well. It still looks great. And it feels like a Saturday afternoon matinee, which is kind of the point. But through all my research and time spent on The Rocketeer, the most astonishing thing about this movie is, as I've said, how much it still resonates with people. And how much people actively love this movie, despite it not being a massive box office success. Nostalgia is such a powerful weapon. And this movie feels like Disney's underrated weapon of choice. Um, I am delighted that The Rocketeer is on Disney Plus because it really deserves to find a new audience and a modern audience. Because if anything deserves appreciating, it's The Rocketeer. Thank you for listening to this episode. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Rocketeer. If you do like this episode or any episode, um, if you could take a moment to leave a five-star rating and a review, something like Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing. And thank you to those who have recently left me five-star reviews. Uh, It is always amazing to read five-star reviews. Um, And it is really the best way to show any podcast that you love what they do. If you've already left a review, um, I would love it if you would tell a friend about this podcast and spread the word about it, because that is the only way that this podcast is going to grow and get better. Uh, So what I like to do every episode now is, because I've got a lot of episodes, this is the 61st, um, I like to recommend similarly themed episodes that if you like this episode on The Rocketeer, Um, And obviously, Jess is very happy about this. Uh, (laughs) If you like this episode on The Rocketeer, you might also like um, episode four, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Um, Obviously, this is set in the 40s. Um, It is a wonderful period piece. Um, 
with some fantastic animation. The story behind Who Framed Roger Rabbit is so incredible. I mean, I would recommend Who Framed Roger Rabbit anyway, but I've mentioned Who Framed Roger Rabbit in this episode, so I think uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit would be a good one. But the main one I want to recommend is episode five, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, because, like I said, if there's any movie that partners beautifully with the Rocketeer, it is Sky Captain. Um, it has a diesel punk aesthetic. It looks beautiful. It is a little bit dated, admittedly, but it's very underrated. No one really talks about Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow anymore. Um, and it's definitely not as well loved as the Rocketeer. So if you like the Rocketeer, please hunt out Sky Captain in the world of tomorrow because I guarantee you will love it. Um, and finally, a bit of a curveball episode, episode 38, Hellboy. And that's mainly because Hellboy fights Nazis. And who doesn't want to fight Nazis? Um, everyone wants to fight Nazis, except Nazis. Uh, <laughs> so um, give me feedback, obviously. Uh, do you think that I chose the right episodes? Uh, let me know. Uh, the next episode, so this was an episode that was rescheduled because... I felt a little bit unwell in August and I couldn't do this episode in August like I planned. So it's been moved and it's been moved to the start of October and it is a live action adaptation of a classic cartoon. And I know that a few people are disappointed that it's not the Flintstones. And I will say I love the Flintstones and I do plan to cover the Flintstones at some point, but I'm pretty certain that everyone has seen this classic cartoon or a variation because the original came out in the 60s and it's had many new iterations, it's had modern versions. To be honest, I just hope that the next episode isn't the scrappy-do of this podcast uh, because the next episode, episode 62, is on the live-action Scooby-Doo from 2002 and I am very excited to be revisiting Scooby-Doo. It's a movie I haven't seen in a while I remember absolutely loving Scooby-Doo and, and it's, I don't know, it's just one of those movies that really makes me smile. Um, I think the cast in that movie is phenomenal. Join me next week for Scooby-Doo-Doo. Uh, you can find any of my other 60 episodes, obviously, in your podcast app that you're listening to this on. You can follow me at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. If you wish to support the show financially, you are under no obligation. But if you do want to support me and the show, the tiers start from $2 a month. Just a massive thank you to the patrons of this podcast. Uh, Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike and Griff. They are my pulp heroes. Verbal Diorama now has merch. You can check out my merch store, which is at teespring.com slash stores slash verbal diorama. There are t-shirts, hoodies, mugs and tote bags um, for the month of September only. So this code finishes uh, on the final day of September. Uh, you get 15% off all items with promo code VD150FF. Uh, so if you are interested in merch, please get that with the discount. If you want to get in touch with me, it's just verbaldiorama at gmail.com or verbaldiorama.com if you want to go to my website. Um, and obviously pop over to Film Stories, check out the magazine uh, because I write for it and I write articles online. So yeah, basically just check out filmstories.co.uk and find some stuff and buy some mags and that would be awesome. And finally, 
There was only one way that I wanted to ever end this episode and that was me leaving you with some of James Horner's beautiful score for The Rocketeer. Bye. <laughs>